Hello and welcome to the Really Random Movie Reviews Podcast. Real people, real takes. I'm Danielle. And I'm Ben. In this show, we have an online movie generator choose a film for us to watch. It could be from any genre and any decade, as long as it's easily accessible for us. After viewing the movie, we sit here and discuss it at length. This week, we're talking about The Big Sleep. What will we think? Well, grab some popcorn, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, so we are talking about The Big Sleep. It is from 1946, which is the oldest film we've watched for this podcast. Yeah. And it was directed by Howard Hawks, and it stars Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. So this movie is about a private detective played by Humphrey Bogart. His name is Philip Marlowe, and he's hired by a wealthy family to investigate an exploitation case against the one of the daughters. And while he's doing his investigation, he, he encounters murder, he encounters more blackmail, and even love. Yep. Spoiler alert. It's kind of a slow burn. Yeah, so we can get into that a little bit. Um, I had never heard of this movie before. Neither had I. I mean, I know of the two main stars. Like, I've heard their names. They're huge names in Hollywood. Yeah. But I had never even heard of this movie. And this is the movie that led, or one of the movies that led to them actually becoming married. Yeah. <laughs> in their life. Which is interesting. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Humphrey Bogart was married previously, and he was married to a woman, either his first or second wife, I'm not sure, while filming this, and he and Lauren Bacall had had started to have an affair, but I'm not sure if that started before that, because they were in a movie, um, To Have and Have Not? Yeah, To Have and Have Not. Okay. And that was 1944. All right. Yeah, so... Sounds kind of Shakespearean. I, it kind of does, yeah. Uh, but it's a World War II movie. Gotcha. And I it, mean... It, 1944, during World War II, there were a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. Very timely back then. Mm-hmm. But Humphrey Bogart was in his 40s, and she was probably late teens early 20s like when they got married she was like 20 or 21 yeah which is that was more acceptable back then but nowadays it's like basically grooming yeah (laughs) which is kind of creepy but she looked even though their marriage didn't last that long it was like 12 years and then they got a divorce she still looked fondly back on it so yeah and they had they had some kids, so I guess it wasn't all in vain. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just some Hollywood history, if you will, because Humphrey Bogart is a huge name. He was in Casablanca. Okay. Okay. That makes sense now that I think about it. Yeah. He's very much the leading man, good looking at the time. Good looking, middle aged lead man. Kind of like all the Chris's right now. Kind of, (laughs) yeah. Except they have different qualities about them. I feel like back then it was just like, you want the straight-laced detective man who is going to get the girl. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, what's your... 
What's your initial re- review of this movie? It's a very slow burn. Definitely need at least two drinks in you to watch it. At least we did. And yeah. If you're not into this, these old slow burn kind of movies, it's probably not for you. Yeah, so it's a film noir, which is kind of like a, like you said, a whodunit. And these were very popular back in the day. Maltese Falcon is a big one. Um, Dial M for Murder is a huge film noir movie that, like, I actually like that movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's less dated than this movie. Yeah. I think it's also a tiny bit more recent, but it's like, from the 50s. <laughs> yeah. So take that what you will. It's a nice peek into old Hollywood and like classic films. Yeah. And what they worked with back then in terms of talent and technology and all of resources in general. Yeah. It's a good look into that history, which I find interesting. Mm hmm. But yeah, it's very slow. And it's almost two hours and you feel it. Yeah. It's not like a Marvel two hours. No. So what was something that kind of stood out in this movie? Or just something about the movie? All the weedy punches and the just going stiff and falling over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood was something. Um, yeah. The, how they... They've definitely gotten a lot better at faking punches. Yes. And also the sound effect, too. It yeah. like just sounds like a hollow, like, thing. Boom. Yeah. It sounds like knocking on a watermelon. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what the Foley artists did. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, if you don't know what a Foley artist is, they're the ones that create the sound in post-production. Yeah. So everything is quiet on set. Even like when someone's walking and heels and you hear that, that's not actually them because they don't want to mess up the audio mm-hmm. when they're actually filming. So women will usually or people wearing heels will have like felt padding or something on the bottom that'll deaden the the noise mm-hmm. or they'll have like extra carpeting or something. Every film set is different in what they want, but someone... The Foley artist, whoever it is, will record that walking and dub it to the steps with, while wearing heels in the studio. Yeah. It's really cool to watch, actually. Yeah. Even just little things like that or when there are bones breaking, it's usually a celery stalk and they just go. <laughs> yeah. And just go anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, some of the sound effects are kind of, you can tell they were recorded not with the movie. Yeah. But I'm sure back then that was really good editing in cinema. Oh, yeah. For back then, absolutely. And I'm sure that that was kind of the standard and that's what they had to work with. Yeah. I mean, as films have gone digital, scenes have gotten shorter because file sizes and all that. Whereas back then, you didn't want to have really short scenes because that just meant you had it was harder to cut the film Mm -hmm. because you're actually cutting and taping together and which i don't mind longer takes like that i actually really like nowadays when you can pull off a really long take and have it be so seamless yeah 
Yeah, I really like that. But they have that from back in that day when yeah. it was like, are you going to want to cut up the film as much as you really like? You don't want to spend all your time doing that. Yeah, it's just time consuming and tedious. Mm hmm. Yeah, but back to the um, fake punches. Like, I was laughing because it was just like, like just a weak ass punch. And then the guy like falls over. Yeah. <laughs> or just like kind of tips over, like really comically. Like, nowadays it seems as it's funny. Yeah. But it's because of how film has evolved from that. And mm -hmm. like back then, that was very serious. Yeah. And nobody would laugh at that. That would be like, oh my God, someone just got punched in the face. Yep. And it, that looked realistic. But nowadays, like we have much better camera angles and zoom and um, makeup. Oh, yeah. Stunt doubles if they need a stunt double for that, which for that you don't. Yeah. But yeah. And I think there were also um, filming things back then where you couldn't get away with certain things because of like obscenity and indecency. Yeah. Kind of like with kissing on scene, on yeah. screen. Yeah. Which like that final scene where it's like, oh, it's implied that they're going to kiss. Yeah. Even though they don't. Yeah. But that's in a lot of old Hollywood movies. Yeah. Or it's like if they do kiss, it's turned away where, like, a, the back of someone's head is to the camera. Yeah. So you can't actually... Like, you see the lips touching for a second, but not really. Yeah. It's tasteful. Yeah. <laughs> and as this is the 1940s, modern feminists would have a very hard time watching this movie. And why is that? Just because of how the women are treated. Mm-hmm. By the men in the movie. It's it's almost like they're just being told what to do and when. Yeah. Or like the whole, the one that bothers me the most is the scene where he's in the library or the bookstore. Yeah. Um, with that, with the librarian. I, I think it's a library or is it just a bookstore? The bookstore across from the other bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah. Basically, like, once she let her hair down and took off her glasses, then she was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It, like, he, she was nothing to look at really before. It was just like, oh, she might be some nice, keep me company while I'm staking something out. Yeah. But then she took her hair down from, like, her hair was up and she took her clip out. Mm -hmm. And then took off her glasses. He was like, oh, you're beautiful. And I was like, mm. <laughs> she has the same face as she did before. Yeah, and all she did was just let her hair down. Yeah. But if you have your hair up and you have glasses, that means you're ugly. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> if that was a trope in the 40s, how long has it been a trope? Very long time. Because that's always like, um, ooh, I was watching a documentary recently. I was telling you, the Brittany Murphy thing. Right. And they were talking about how in rom-coms... It's a normal thing where the quote-unquote ugly girl who gets made up, like she gets a makeover. It's like, they're not ugly to begin with. Like Anne Hathaway in Princess Diaries. Oh, yeah. Like she just has really curly hair and glasses, but she's really pretty. Uh -huh. And then, you know, you s straighten her hair and give her some makeup and contacts and she's great. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like with Ty and Clueless. It's like, okay, just color her hair give her some more suggestive outfits or like less modest, I should say. 
dress her up, give her some makeup, and oh, she's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like she was kind of the, not the fat girl, but like the not skinny girl. Yeah. But her body still looked great, but obviously with with Hollywood and stuff, it's like, you know. If, if you're, you're not pencil thin, two by four. Exactly. Then you're Not fat. pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's kind of starting and continuing that stigma. Yeah. Which is very detrimental to a lot of people mm-hmm. and a lot of people's self-esteems. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the Kardashians aren't helping. No. But it's more well-known in the media about women because they brought it up. But I can't even imagine what men go through, too. Because it's, pro- it's I've heard from, like, especially nowadays, like, I've heard actors speaking up. It's like, it's pretty much just as bad. Yeah. For men in Hollywood. Yeah. But they don't talk about it enough. Because of the stigma of men can't talk about their feelings. Exactly. Which but women, is complete bullshit. Which I understand there is that stigma, but there's even more so for women, I, I think. Know. I know. It's even worse. Where it's like, if you're not basically anorexic... Yeah. Then, yeah. At least there's some realistic expectations for men. Some. You have to spend 10 hours a day at the gym. Well, that, yeah, but... Uh, Not not 10, but still. Yeah. At least an hour at the gym every day. Exactly. Just to keep up your physique. And it's like, most of us don't have time for that. I know. I know. Anyway, (laughs) we went off on a tangent. Well, I mean... It's related. It is, yeah. One thing I noticed, and this kind of ties back to the um, punching that yeah. we talked about earlier, the makeup for, or what looked like makeup, like when Philip Marlowe, he gets punched in the face by someone, like yeah. one of the goons working for the guy he's investigating, and he gets punched right in the jaw, mm-hmm. and later he's tied up. And then he has, like, a weird, like, dark... Like, it's black and white, obviously, but there's a weird square right on his chin. Like, yeah. next to his chin on his jaw. Yeah. I'm like, is that supposed to be a brute? Like, I thought it was a shadow at first. Yeah, so did I. And I was like, that's staying there. Well, that wasn't there before, so it can't be, like, a birthmark or something. Is that supposed to be his bruise? <laughs> yeah. It just looked so square and angled where no bruise would ever really look like that. Yeah. But again, I'm sure it was great back then. Mm-hmm. So another thing about this movie, yes, it it is black and white. And in some ways that makes filming a little easier and a little more difficult. And one of the more difficult things is lighting. And you can tell that the lighting had to be really good for them to get some of these shots. Mm-hmm. Because you're dealing with like, dark streets but you still you still have to have enough light for the to see what's going on because black and white film doesn't really catch light all that well no i mean it does but it doesn't Mm -hmm. one thing i want to bring up is um so there are three writers for this movie and it's based on a novel and one of the main writers of the screenplay for this movie was william faulkner And if you are not a literature nerd like me or studied him in American literature, William Faulkner is a very prolific novelist from the 20th century. And he's from Mississippi. 
I really like his work. I really like his writing. And I'm more familiar with his short stories. He wrote The Sound and the Fury, which is probably his most well-known book. That's like a World War One. I. I don't think I've read any of his stuff. Yeah, he wrote The Sound and the Fury, which is probably his most well-known book, as I said. And he's also written um, some more short stories. Like in my in my high school, we or in my program, we read more um, short stories than we did like books. So like we did plays and short stories, some books, but not many. Gotcha. And ones that I read are um, I think I read As I Lay Dying. There's A Rose for Emily, which I definitely read. Uh, Barn Burning. And I think that's it. Yeah, all of his, or a good amount of his stories take place in the Midwest part of the South, like Mississippi or Mm -hmm. that kind of area. Yeah. Especially around the river and all of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's a really good author. And I would recommend if you ever just want to read his short stories, they're not, I don't think they're that long. Yeah. And it's just interesting because you think of like, oh, a prolific classic American author You'd think like, oh, maybe the 1800s or something. Yeah. But this guy was writing in the mid-1900s at the same time that films were being made, and he contributed to them, too. Mm -hmm. And I just never... You never really think of them being part of of the same century. Yeah. And they are, which is kind of cool. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's my two cents on that. (laughs) All right, then. I also read that Lauren Bacall's character, Vivian Rutledge, she's a divorcee in this movie, which is why, because they call her Mrs. Rutledge all the time. I was like, wait, if she's kissing him, is she committing adultery right now? Is she cheating on her husband? Because we never see him. But I guess in the, um, in one of the plot analyses, it says that she's divorced. Gotcha. So that makes sense. But even then, she's like, she was 22 when this movie came out, maybe 21. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she may have looked mature for her age, but oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And I know it was common to marry younger back then. Yeah. Especially for a woman. But yeah, it's just like, wait, she's supposed to be divorced? <laughs> like, I'm older than she was when they filmed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just find it weird. Like, how- And it was... It's just one of those things where the leading, the lead man can be in his 40s, but the leading woman always has to be like 20s. 25 at the oldest. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> kind of, yeah. That, I thought about that earlier and I didn't, I just didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Also, yeah, a leading woman could be older, but that's if she's a mom or if she's an aging actress. Yeah. That's the only way. Yeah. A leading woman could be not in her 20s. Mm-hmm. But the bombshell always has to be like 25 at the oldest. Yep. Because why would you want someone older than that when you're a 40-year-old good-looking man, supposedly? Yeah. I don't know. I don't see it with Humphrey Bogart. I'm sorry. Looks kind of like Dracula. <laughs> kind of does. Yeah, I can see it. Watch him play. Have played Dracula. That's Christopher Lee. We like him. Gotcha. Or Bella Lugosi. We like him too. Gotcha. But Christopher Lee, man. 
Wait. Saruman, Count Dooku. That's, I was just going to ask if that was the same Christopher Lee. I'll see myself out. The door's right behind you. All right, uh, let's talk about themes, I guess. I can never spot a theme in a whodunit. I guess just don't blackmail people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I wasn't really paying attention that well to this movie because I didn't care. It was long and I don't know. Yeah, Follow I guess, your gut. Follow your gut. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Because it'll never lead you astray unless it's for food. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, follow your gut, follow your instincts, follow your heart. Yeah. Because it is kind of a love story, too. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. They just shoehorned it in. Yeah. Because, yeah. But yeah. Um, would you recommend this movie? If film noir whodunit is your thing, yeah. But if not, you can pass. Yeah, I agree. Or like, especially... If you want to look into the history of film, yeah. or like how they were made back then, which is like 80 years ago, and The Wizard of Oz was 1930s, yeah, which is like 90 years, or like 85. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a long time. Yep. We've come a long way from the man riding on the horse. Yes, we have. Which is the first piece of film. Mm-hmm. Or the train coming into the station. Yep. It is interesting. It is interesting to see how films were created back then. What they kind of worked with. Because you get that a lot, even just from watching it. You don't need, like, a documentary or a behind-the-scenes thing. Yeah. Because they probably didn't have the resources for that back then. They didn't have VHS tapes back then, so they didn't have those feature ads. Yeah. But, yeah, you can tell a lot just by watching it. Mm Mm-hmm. But if that doesn't interest you, yeah, I would probably skip it because yeah. it was just it was just long and not that interesting to be honest. Yeah, I liked I like seeing how film noir has evolved mm-hmm. because I like some whodunits and murder mysteries. I love murder mysteries, but yeah, I agree with you. Alrighty. Well, that'll be it for us this episode. Let's go to the movie generator and see what we'll get next time. Okay. Rocky Three from 1982. Oh, I haven't seen this one in forever. I don't think I've seen this one. Really? I think I've seen one and two, just never three. What about four, five, and Balboa? Oh, Jesus Christ. I forgot about those ones. <laughs> um, I think this one isn't as... Isn't as popular as the other ones, but this is the one with Mr. T, if I'm not mistaken. It looked like Mr. T. Because one and two, well, one is obviously Apollo Creed. Uh Uh-huh. Two is Apollo Creed again, right? I thought two was the Russian dude. No, that's, I thought that was Rocky IV. Right. So I've seen four. Yeah, Ivan Drago. Yeah. That's Rocky IV, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so then I've seen that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen him forever, so we'll see what we think. All right. Tune in next week. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Really Random Movie Reviews. Please let us know if you've heard of this movie, The Big Sleep, and if you like Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. And 
let us know on social media. The, the links are in the description of this podcast. Have a great day.